You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 31, William Defobar, creating a new narrative between climate and culture with Atmos magazine. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcast. I'm your host, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital. And I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. Atmos magazine is beautiful, eloquent and inspires action. The biannual publication delivers a culturally-led luxury fashion feel with the substance of the National Geographic. Atmos was founded by Jake Sargent and with William Defelbar as editor-in-chief is creating a new narrative between climate and culture. My conversation with Will focuses on his vision for Atmos magazine and how he encourages us to reconnect with nature, the earth and ourselves to create a state of equilibrium. So thank you so much for joining us today, Will. Um, and I'm super grateful that George introduced us. And actually, it was the first time that I'd been introduced to Atmos, your beautiful magazine. So very grateful to come across that. Um, I just wanted to pick up with you today around kind of how you started to develop Atmos magazine, what you were doing before that, and um, how you found the transition from whatever you were doing to what you're doing now. Um, so yeah, so go for it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, so my name is William Duffabaugh. I'm uh, the editor of a climate and culture magazine called Atmos. Um, so I have a, a bit of a, a winding journey um, that has led me here. I spent quite a while working in fashion publishing. So when I first moved to New York, um, pretty much my first job was as an intern at Vogue magazine. And then um, working at GQ. And so I was at um, Condé Nast for a little while. And then I ended up uh, finding myself at um, more of an independent publication called V Magazine, which is a culture and, and fashion magazine. And I spent um, a little over five years there. So kind of worked my way up the ladder from being an assistant to becoming the editor and um, learned so much in my time working at V. Towards the end, um, I think I was starting to experience some fashion fatigue, I suppose we can call it. Um, I think really there was such a turning point with the election here in the US and just starting to feel um, into how I could really use my voice as a writer and an editor to, you know, kind of make a difference in the world. And um, more and more I was feeling into the weight of... um, consumerism and perpetuating consumerism and the environment and nature have always been a really um, important source of inspiration for me and so I decided to um, to leave V and in my mind I was sort of thinking I was going to be leaving publishing Um, and you know I took a year off to really you know, as cliche as it sounds, kind of find myself and went deeper into some mindfulness practices and meditation. And um, I ended up getting connected to uh, my partner at the magazine. Um, His name is uh, Jake Sargent. And we were connected through a friend and he said that he was really looking to start a publication that bridges the intersection between climate and culture. And 
you know, in my mind at that time, again, I was thinking, okay, I'm kind of done with the fast paced publishing life. And yet at the same time, what he was proposing to me was so aligned with my interests and we really hit it off right away. And I started to think about this idea of, um, why is it because climate reporting and climate science has been saying the same thing for more or less 30 years. So, you know, I was really thinking about, okay, so why haven't people listened more? And something that dawned on me pretty early on is that it's very hard for people to care about an issue that they don't feel connected to, or that they don't feel that they have a right to be connected to. And I think that we've created this sort of divorce within our culture between, um, between ourselves and nature, but specifically between culture and climate, right? We think that if we're interested in fashion, if we're interested in the arts, then our very interests or our very existence goes against the ethos of a minimalistic, more natural lifestyle. And so one of my uh, first goals with Atmos was really to not so much focus on what we can't do, because I think there's a lot of that happening right now, which is great. We need those voices to be telling us, no, this isn't sustainable. No, this isn't great. But what I felt was sort of missing was a voice that was telling us, well, here's what we can do. And so, you know, my hope is that Atmos never comes across as preachy in any type of way, but rather shows we can still achieve the same levels of creativity and the same heights of art and fashion in a way that doesn't um, have such a destructive impact. I think what we've, what kind of resonated really deeply with me is kind of, it's the beautiful simplicity of it as well. So you have like the beauty as well that you're used to looking at at really high end publications and kind of, you know, big production shoots and things. And the narrative of that is something we understand visually, but it's a completely different topic. And I think previously there hasn't been that, has there? There hasn't been that what we desire visually and then climate change, it's kind of, they don't marry until now, really. Mm. Yeah, that's beautifully articulated. You know, it, in our first issue, Neo Natural, um, which we were really sort of looking at uh, what natural even means anymore. And, you know, the sort of starting point of that issue for me was like, well, at what point in history did natural come to mean uh, not, made, not made by humans? You know, like w when did we linguistically separate ourselves from, from nature? Um, and it was an interview, it was actually the very first interview we did for that issue with um, Anoni, who is a, a brilliant artist and, and musician. And she's, she speaks so eloquently that she said something that has really stuck with me ever since then, that, you know, essentially, we're all just children playing dress up in Mother Nature's sandbox. And we're trying to emulate her forms and something about that really landed for me that that's what creativity is and that's what fashion is it's um it's a reflection of nature it's a reflection of nature's beauty and i love that you brought up this idea of like the simplicity of beauty because for me that's been such a big part of this journey is like sort of in a way releasing releasing some shame around um around a love for beauty I don't know. Mm, and I, aligning yourself to nature, I think, because it's had such yeah. a, particularly in a fashion sense, 
it's had quite a um you know if you're hemp hippie this or that or whatever you know that's always been something that you strive not to be perhaps in high fashion mm-hmm. um and now to put that back in with it and align with that in a really strong way is is kind of going against that again so it's like you know it can be elegant it can be playful it can be lots of different things as nature is you know yeah absolutely and you look to some you know designers throughout history and like almost all of Alexander McQueen's collections were in some way uh, drawing inspiration from nature and you know we we see nature in in everything in, in the arts and so I think um you know, going back to sort of what the start of my answer to this question is, I think it's reminding us that we are connected to this thing and that um, that it doesn't have to be limiting, that it can actually very be be very limit uh, liberating. Um, so that's really kind of how I how I found Atmos. It really rather how it found me, um, and. Yeah, I think, did I answer your question? Yes, yeah, of course. Um, And how have you found, because if we're talking about fashion particularly, there's a definite like business and money element to that. And, you know, definitely from a magazine point of view, you're driven commercially by ads and kind of what you place within the magazine and things like that. So how have you um, managed that with Atmos to to navigate the commerciality of it, you know? or not, <laughs> or yeah. make it not commercial, you know? That's a really great, great question. It's actually probably more more of the latter, uh, more in not. Um, so we're very fortunate. Um, basically, we're um, philanthropically funded. We don't actually have any ads in the publication. And it's something that we've talked about quite a lot. And ultimately, we haven't quite figured out how we want to approach that in the magazine because every time we sort of started those conversations it sort of inevitably leads to well is this a compromise of our values um and i'm sure it's something that we will be exploring more in the future and you know when it comes to fashion and brands like i think we always have to recognize that you know there is an exchange and you know i i very much believe in people um needing to be paid for their services and so you know there is such a deep part of the question around sort of sustainable fashion in terms of like, oftentimes that means paying a little bit more, especially if artisans are involved. And um, I think that that's super important. We've been very grateful or I've been very grateful and we've been very lucky with Atmos that we've been able to be um, sort of funded in, in non-traditional means, but mm. it's a, it's a really difficult question to solve, to be honest as well. Cause even with, um, black neon i've like self-funded it you know it's been going almost three years and um there's there's that definite push of you know prs send you stuff and you're like oh do i want to do this or i don't and you know you have to really think about why what and what benefit it will bring and actually you know there's such liberation in being able to completely choose what you do and how you do it but then funding it is a completely different thing. So, you know, outside of this, I do consultancy work and kind of we've got a comms agency and that's actually what funds it. But the the kind of editorial part of it is is on its own, you know, it's completely mm-hmm. separate and it's very hard to 
I mean, in a way, not hard, actually, because you're just like, no, I'm not funding it through sponsorship. It's simple, like, because then that would cloud your judgment, perhaps, or unless you find incredible partners that you completely believe in and there's not necessarily a monetary exchange, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, like you said, we all need to get paid. So it's like, you know, it's a constant dilemma, isn't it? That kind of um, money and, and creativity and art and things. And I think... I think we've seen that more now. I don't know how you're feeling over like it in New York and stuff, but the creativity is coming out more. I kind of feel like you can really sense people's creativity and the desire for that mm-hmm. um, and visually as well because we're getting bombarded all the time digitally with stuff that isn't that creative as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. How, how are you feeling like at the moment creativity? Yeah, creativity. I think, I think in times of crisis, I think creativity always comes through more than more than anything else. And, you know, I'm just noticing, we had our very first meeting yesterday for our next issue, um, which will be coming out in the fall. And, you know, I was just so inspired talking to my team, just hearing the ideas that people have been having and conversations beginning to happen with our contributors. And I think there's just this stirring right now of people really wanting to express, you know, especially if you think about the fact that we're all so contained right now. Um, I think that that, that makes the need to express in some way um, even greater. And I think that, um, it's going to be really interesting to see the art that comes out of this particular period of time. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where we take the next issue of Atmos because I think people are really waking up to the climate conversation right now. I think it's really hard to look at what's happening with the coronavirus and see it as not directly related. Um, you know, especially just the fact that, you know, it, it spreads so quickly as a symptom of how small our world has become, you know, and if people weren't traveling as much as they are and as quickly and, you know, it, it wouldn't have spread the way that it did. And so I think we're really looking at, well, what is this world that we've created and how much of it is, is entirely necessary? You know, I, I know, of course, we all have seen by now the news coverage of um, publication of a uh, of cities where pollution is clearing up. And I think it's it's such a beautiful side effect of all of this. But I think the really deeper realization that we need to take from it is looking at, you know, how many of our jobs can be done from home? Is transportation on such a daily level totally necessary? Um, because I think we're really seeing how people can get really creative with where they are. Someone said to me recently, creativity flourishes within confines. And I think that's really true. It's almost like if you have open-ended space, there's too many possibilities and you don't necessarily know what to do with it. But when you're actually given a set of parameters, that's when the mind can get really creative. Yeah, I I would agree with that. It's kind of having the frameworks to do things in as well or break them, whichever whichever way you're choosing to look at it. Um, Can you just describe a little bit, because I know you were... um, for the issue flourish and collapse i know you were entitling it originally flourish and then the collapse kind of came later can you just talk a bit about the um yeah the line between really yeah so i'm always really interested and i'm i'm sure you are too being a creator in 
not just the creation, but the actual process of creating the product. And, you know, when we did set out to create this issue, we were like, oh, let's make volume three flourish. We just really wanted it to be beautiful nature, vibrancy, and just kind of a reminder of why it is that we do the work that we do, what it is that we're protecting. And pretty early on into the conversations, we realized that it was imbalanced. And to say, to only look at the flourish right now when we are experiencing so much of the opposite within our ecosystems, it just wouldn't really be responsible as as journalists. And so we decided to make the issue flourish slash collapse. And the slash is really kind of important to me in a way because I think what so many of the stories in the issue illuminate is that they're so deeply connected, they're really more or less the same thing. I mean, we look at what's happening with our species right now, and overpopulation is one of the most direct examples of flourishing, and yet it's creating collapse. And so one in too much of an extreme is going to be a problem, right? We like we have this binary that we've created of like good and bad. And you know, even us in creating this magazine, you just think flourish, good, collapse, bad. And there's so many examples of that being turned on its head. You know, even a virus spreading around the world, that's an example of flourishing in nature. It's something that has flourished, and yet it's created so much, so much um, deconstruction, so much collapse. And so um, you know, that was really what I wanted to get at with the heart of this issue is, you know, someone, a reader asked me, like, what was the, what do you hope people take away from this issue? And my hope was just balance, because nature is the great force of balance. And so when we have ourselves at too far of an extreme in either of these directions and flourish or collapse, it's just going to create more and more and more imbalance. And I think what we're really striving for right now is being in a state of, of equilibrium. So the equilibrium thing is something that I think we've, we're encountering even more now working from home, having to, to kind of balance work and life. Like, particularly myself, I've got two very young kids and it, it's like hair tearing, do you know what I mean? And then I'm trying to do this and come back to do this. And um, even like exercise, I know you're, you're, into well-being and yoga and things like that how do you balance your work life and even now and and probably after like what will after be like that's a really really great question (laughs) one I've been navigating for a few years now um so the way I've really come to think of it because at, at most we don't have an office we tend to mostly work from home so ever since we started this I've I've um I've been sort of asking myself this very question and what I really came to at a certain point in that journey was that we sort of need to kind of abolish this idea of work life, private life. And I know for a second that sounds like it's removing boundaries, which in a sense it is. But the way I've really come to see it is we are just people. And while we are here on this earth, we are doing a certain number of things. And for this moment, you might be working on this project. And for this moment, you might be working on this. This moment, you might be teaching your kids. For this moment, it's this. I have found when I create these lines in my head of like, okay, it's nine to five. I'm supposed to be working during this period of time. Or, okay, it's 6 p.m. I need to stop. I need to 
roll out my yoga mat or something. That's me trying to exert control over my experience in a way that usually ends with me being frustrated. And so I've tried to bring a little bit more grace into my daily life of, of saying, you know, okay, this is, you know, what is, what is needing to be expressed through me in this moment? And it might be related to my writing or for Atmos, it might be, you know, attention that I need to give a loved one or something. Um, but I think that we've, we just live in a culture that's so obsessed with what our careers are and what our work life is. is and so we, we have this sort of idea that there's like the self that goes to work and then there's the self that, you know, raises our family, the self that's with our friends. And, um, you know, one of my, uh, first really sort of spiritual teachers, uh, told me this and I'll never forget it. She said, the way we do one thing is the way that we do everything. And, that's really changed how I live my life because, you know, we can, we can be like the best, best version of ourselves in our career. But if like, you know, we're a shitty friend or something that doesn't, that doesn't add up to being a a person with integrity. And really at the end of the day, when we practice like sustainability within our personal lives, like, okay. And how much time I'm devoting to everything in my life that sustainability really ripples outward into how we relate to the planet and and all of this. And this is why sort of mindfulness practices have been so important to me because I've seen the effect it has on people when you just become more conscious in the individual choices in your life that has a ripple effect. Yeah, and and obviously as well, being someone that's kind of, I wouldn't say it's a triangle, but you're head of, you know, a magazine. How do you encourage the other people around you to kind of do what they need to do for themselves and still deliver the work that they need to do at the deadline? Like, or do you just completely, you know, kind of say, this is a deadline and you do whatever you want? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it, I think it's really sort of individual with different people. I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that's like, okay, well, here is the deadline. However, you feel you are able to organize yourself in order to meet that deadline. I'm happy for you to organize it that way. And I've, you know, different um, members of our team are very different. I have some people I work with who like really love to establish check-ins. And so my, my sort of point of view on that is like, okay, that's helpful for you for meeting the deadline. Let's check in here, here, and here. And there are other people I work with who are very much like, I know that they'll just, I can tell them when it's due and it will be delivered on that day. And I don't have to, I don't have to check in. So I think it's, it's really kind of like an individual person to person. Can you talk us through your Earth Day campaign, which it just blew my mind. I was watching it and like I had goose pimples and I was almost crying. And, and I tell you the reason why is because we tend to exist within quite a particular bubble in fashion and sustainability. And it just, for me, just brought together so many different types of people. And that the power in that means that it can resonate to a lot of different groups within that. So particularly, I, I mentioned to you, um, Kim Kardashian, like, you know, she's got her own line. She has a, a lot of power to change perhaps how she's making the clothes or whatever it is. Um, and her audience is huge. So it's kind of yeah, it just, it really made my heart sing to see that campaign, to be honest. Thank you. I'm glad that it resonated. Um, it was a total whirlwind. I mean, we put that whole thing together in a week, basically. And, um, you know, when we, the team 
sort of set out to to create the project and we just had this master list of like everyone pretty much everyone in all of our networks that we were going to reach out to i definitely had a question of like how is this going to all fit together you know and you know in the same box we're reaching out to kim kardashian that we're reaching out to al gore you know and um what really kind of came to me early on is that this is a movement that requires everyone and I think one of the um, one of the greatest sort of I'll say uh, dangers to like any kind of movement is is elitism and exclusivity and feeling like okay well if you are a climate activist then you can't be someone who does this or this or this no we don't need everyone being a perfect act perfect activist we need we don't need some people being a perfect activist we need everyone being an imperfect activist and i really believe that um, because i think as you say it's about how can we resonate with the most people and i think that there's a power when anyone sees someone that they look up to or someone who they connect with um when they see them making a change again that's going to instigate them making more of a change i've been really going into um some work around sort of shame recently as it relates to activism. There's a brilliant um, psychologist named uh, Dr. Brene Brown. I don't know if you know her, but she um, does a lot of research around shame and also vulnerability. And she says in one of her books that basically when shame is present, it's impossible for there to be growth because the brain actually shuts down. It's like when I experience shame around something, then it just takes you deeper and deeper into that experience of shame and it becomes harder and harder to get out of it. And so when people go into ideas of um, environmentalism, you know, with a sense of shame around their own footprint or what they contribute, it's really not effective. And so what we wanna show people is hey, okay, you might not be perfect. We're not perfect either. And we're all trying. And so the really, the ethos behind the video was showing people from as many different fields and backgrounds and walks of life explaining how they want to try. So I I totally got goosebumps when it came together too. I had, it really exceeded my um, my expectations, so... Are you in, in any way at all going to kind of like follow up with them or like give them any support, like materials or tips or help or, you know, anything to to help them do what they kind of committed to, I guess, in the video? That's a great question. Um, I don't it's not, it's not <laughs> one that I have thought about yet, I will be honest. Um, it's something that I definitely will think more on. I can tell you that we are definitely inspired by how that video came together and we're definitely seeing more things like that in the future um you know we put that video together with future earth which is a really amazing platform on on social media for informing yourself about climate issues and um the video was really a result of that collaboration and so what i was really inspired by was what happens when organizations actually put their resources together. And I think I just, I worked in fashion publishing for so long where there was such a um, air of competition, you know, between stories and getting the best photographers and, and things like this. Um, 
it kind of just opened my mind in a way that's like, well, actually, we're all fighting for the same cause here. So why not pool all of our resources together? So definitely uh, future plans include more videos like that with more organizations. Um, and I'm definitely going to think about following up with people from the first project. That's a really great idea. Are you able to tell us what's next, what your next issue is going to be um, or not? <laughs> I can't tell you the theme of the next issue. I can tell you that we came up with the theme six months ago and before any of this pandemic happened. And it is almost creepy how much it it relates to the moment, even more than flourish and collapse in a way. So um, I'm very excited to to see it through. So right now, um, it, it, things I can tell you that are coming up is that we're really starting to um, widen our digital coverage. So the magazine itself comes out, you know, every six months and um, in print. And I will always, always love print publishing. And also, we just redesigned our website. And I'm really excited to be widening our pool of contributors and, and telling more stories on a more regular basis. So definitely look out for, for that. Wonderful. Is there anything else you want to talk today about? Um, uh, I guess I would just end on the note that I, you know, I think there's so many mixed feelings happening in our world right now, but I, I feel very hopeful about this particular moment. You know, we were, when my team was talking yesterday, we were talking about how, um, you know, instead of the great depression or the great recession, this era is sort of officially being, called the great reset and i think that you know i get chills even just saying that because i think i think that it really has the potential to be that and i'm i'm hopeful that when we come out of this experience um more and more people are awake and more conscious to the world that we're living in because i think at the end of the day the ecological crisis is a crisis of consciousness and what this has been so far in the last month has been a massive wake up call for people. And so I think we're going to get to see in the next year um, what we do now that we're awake. And there's, there's something extremely painful about it. And there will be so many lessons in that. But I think if there's anything I have faith in, it's the resiliency and the creativity of the human spirit. So that's that. Yeah, I would agree. Yep. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, Will. Of course. From Will, we learn that by using the skills and experience of an industry that you wanted to leave behind, you can actually bring with you a new audience to a conversation that perhaps until now didn't resonate or connect. By using a visual language that we are familiar with and creating a space to feel comfortable existing within, Will has opened up the way for an exploration of our relationship with the earth and nature. Leading by example, he enables us to question how we can align our connection with the planet, our personal values and that of our businesses or careers. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital and online at blackneondigital.com. Please do take the time to subscribe and rate and review our show. We look forward to you joining us next time.